Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. So now we're looking in 80 years where 50% of our population will be sent to genarians. So you have to market to this group because it's just getting bigger and bigger. Hi, I'm Michael Casson. Welcome to Good Company, where I'll explore how marketing, media, entertainment, and tech are intersecting, transforming our lives and the way we do business at a breakneck speed. I'll be joined by some of the greatest business minds and strongest leaders who will share how they've built companies from the ground up or transformed them from the inside out. My bet is you'll pick up a lesson or two along the way. It's all good. It's a great pleasure for me to welcome to the Good Company podcast two of my favorite people, Alan Patrickoff and Abby Levy. I could go on for way too long about the history with the Kasson family and the Patrickoff family, but let it suffice to say that it's truly family. The fact that the two of you have come together in primetime partners is exciting, I think, for me personally, as in full disclosure, as an investor, but it's really exciting for the market because the discipline and the experience that the two of you bring to this venture, I think, speaks volumes for why you hit the right button at the right time, sort of capturing the zeitgeist. And I guess I'm going to turn that into a question and say, what was it about this moment that led you to the creation of Primetime Partners? Well, let, let me take a bit. The story is really an interesting one, Michael. And honestly, from both of our points of view, this is a Rashomon type of experience. Uh, <laughs> uh, I really got into this, I'm being very openly and honest. Uh, I had started what, what is now APAX, but had been at Alan Patrick of Associates back in 1970. In, in 2006, I decided to leave uh, APAX and start another firm, Great Crop Partners. And uh, about two years ago, I made the decision that I was ready to transition again. And I had, uh, about a year ago, I really started thinking about people getting older as I saw a lot of friends who were sometimes pushed out, but most of the time there were rules that companies have set in place that it's, if you're over 60, you know, make room for the next group. And I said, this is crazy. All these talented people uh, who have so much energy like you, Michael, and like myself, because I'd started a second business at 71. And I said, 80, 83 or 84 wasn't too young to start again. Uh, and But I looked around and I saw all these people and I said, what a great reservoir of talent. In addition to that, my wife, unfortunately, has had Alzheimer's and she's in her going into her 12th year. And uh, when you're in that process, uh, you see a lot of things about not just chronic diseases, but you, you're much more aware of people who are aging and what are the products and services they need and, and how are they going to be served in the future and whether it's financial services or caregiving services or nutrition or even media, frankly, to prevent a, a social isolation. And I had been thinking about it and thinking about it and uh, doing nothing, just reading and thinking. And one day my son, Jonathan, one of your th three sons that you know so well, uh, said, called me and said, you know, Abby Levy, is thinking exactly in the same place you are, and she's doing something about it. And I said, my God, that's phenomenal. So we got together the next day, and uh, Primetime Partners was born at a breakfast. And so I'll, Abby can tell you how she got there, because she's obviously uh, almost half my age, uh, but she's been a great partner. Alan, that's a great setup. And Abby, I will tell you one thing. 
I fell in love with Alan Patrikoff at a breakfast as well. Well, listen, you know, the, the best things do happen on a full stomach. So, uh, so, so we're very, we all have that in common. Got to eat. Um, but I, I'm very lucky. I've known Alan, as you mentioned, for many years through our involvement uh, at Thrive Global, where I was the founding president with Ariana Huffington. And, and Alan was through Greg Crofton Investor, and then we were on the board together. And um, so it was really a no-brainer when my friend from grad school, John Petrikoff, said, you should talk to my dad. You guys should do this together. Uh, that was a bit of a no-brainer. Um, I came to this area of looking at aging and longevity uh, really from a place of honestly frustration. So uh, having been a founder myself and, and really in this uh, startup world, um, I kept getting pitched by founders, uh, particularly New York founders that were designing new products or services for millennials, for new moms, for pets, for dogs. I mean, every possible end user except 25% of our population that's age 60 plus. And so for me, it just seemed like it was just such an obvious opportunity to create solutions um, that, and very necessary solutions that didn't exist. Um, and so I actually, I spent a lot of time researching the space. I taught a class at the 92nd Street Y to seniors. I joined a nonprofit that serves older adults. Um, I started talking with, with other VCs and each of the VCs said, of course, we'd love to invest in what they call the silver tsunami, but you know, just they didn't know, they, they couldn't find any companies to do so. And so for me, what I realized, this was much more of a supply than a demand problem. Supply of it, compelling founders with great business ideas entering the space. And that's why I wanted to build Primetime, to, to really create an investment platform, a place to convene uh, all the different members of industry, both kind of strategics, government, and the startups themselves. And no better partner to do it with than an 85-year-old who, uh, who is, you know, having his third act of his career. And, you know, for me at age 45, this is my prime time. So um, it definitely uh, has been, a, a, I would say it's been the easiest decision I've ever made to start something. And it has actually, uh, someone asked me the other day, they're like, how's fundraising? Because, you know, everyone thinks of fundraising when you're raising capital, it'd be such an arduous process. And I have to admit, I mean, in five months, we've raised the fund and it has been such a pleasure uh, because everyone's reaction to our work is one of saying, gosh, this is, makes so much sense. I hope you guys can solve some meaningful problems. It's profit with the purpose. Um, and, and, and it just, it clicks. Everybody gets it. We're all aging. We all are dealing with parents uh, or grandparents that are in this phase of life if we aren't ourselves. And um, it's been really rewarding so far. Well, I'm moving ahead to my next decade very shortly, but I told my 10-year-old grandson the other day, I said, Spencer, you realize you've been through three decades with me. He said, what do you mean, Papa? I said, well, you were born when I was 59 and I'm turning 70. So by my count, you've been around for three decades. He goes, but I'm only 10. I said, you know, I was never great at math, but you've known me in my 50s, you've known me in my 60s, and God willing, you're about to know me in my 70s in two months. You said something that was very important, which was a high percentage of the population. And you also said something that harkens back, and Alan and I went through this, that dot-com boom, uh, or bust that we all experienced, what I clearly recall was problems were being solved that weren't actually problems. Yeah. You know, challenges were being met that weren't actually challenges. And here you found something that actually is. And, it, you know, the great part of it is I read a statistic somewhere that said kind of like 60% of the net worth in our country is in the demo you're now going to be focusing on. So you are 
doing what Willie Sutton said about why do you rob banks? It's because that's where they keep the money. This demo is where they keep the money. Michael, you got to add something else to that. Uh, 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 stealing from my partner, and only five or ten percent of the marketing dollars are spent to address that market. But the market we're addressing, and Michael, you don't remember. You've refreshed my memory. When we talked about this idea, uh, you said what everybody says to us: three words. I get it. Every single conversation. That's what comes up. I get it because every this idea has resonated, and we are so uh, focused in what we're doing. Which is, you know, if you bring us a product that deals with people who are in their forties, we're not going to look at it. Uh, we are looking for the whatever it is that deals with the aging generation, as I call it now, the ageless generation. Uh, and this is it's so exciting. Abby can tell you more, but we've got a backlog. We've done seven deals already, and we've got a backlog of over 80. They just keep coming out of the woodwork, and we're not doing anything to go out and not, you know, pound the pavement, as you can imagine. So, Abby, let me ask a question. Was this cohort ignored because it just isn't sexy to marketers? What do you attribute that to? It's a great question. We get asked it a lot. And there's a bunch of different factors. Um, and so I'll, I'll try to tick some of them off. I think I think one was that there were some myths about older adults. Um, you know, older adults, for example, they don't use technology. We're seeing that obviously change quite rapidly over the past couple of years. And then, of course, accelerated by COVID. Older adults, they don't try new things. Uh, older adults, uh, they are in fixed to declining income, so they don't spend. So there are these stereotypes that are monolithic. And what you realize is that when you're talking about 25% of the population, people are only defining them by age, not by attitudes, life stage, all the things that marketers typically do in defining uh, a target segment. And so there, there was really just kind of, I would say, a little bit of ageism and, and kind of old thinking that is changing because this market does control 60% of the net worth. They do control 70% of the healthcare spend. And guess what? They're living probably 40 years. So when it was people, life, life expectancies were 68, why bother marketing to a group that acquire a group that you're just going to churn because they're living eight more years. So now we're looking in 50, in, in 80 years where 50% of our population will be sent to genarians. So you have to market to this group because it's just getting bigger and bigger. It reminds me of a joke my dad used to tell when someone said to him something and he said, I want to live to be 120 and three months. So, of course, that would beget the question, why 120 in three months? He said, I don't want to die suddenly. <laughs> That's kind of where we are, right? I mean, we're all going to be around a lot longer than... Well, you know, Michael, for the last decade, I've had as my objective, which I've spoken about very broadly, is I'm going to live to 114. So, if you figure that out, I have 29 years to go. So, I mean, my life's just... I'm just starting. I got a long life ahead of me. Well, God willing. Let me ask a question in that regard, Alan. If you and Abby kind of look around the corner, look over the horizon, what does that aging consumer look like in five or 10 years? I'll give you a quick one and then let Abby cover it. Uh, I don't look anything. I don't act anything. I don't, my lifestyle is so far different than my father, who didn't even know what a gym was who's walking, was walking down to the subway uh, and, and driving it downtown, who uh, didn't even think about anything he ate. He just was somewhat overweight. Uh, and his lifestyle was boring uh, in his last 10 years. My lifestyle is 
totally anything but every <laughs> night. Uh, you know, I'm triple book when when we're living uh, back to normal, uh, and I exercise every single day, whether it's you know a 20 mile bike ride on the weekends or a three or four mile walk during the week. I just told Abby I made a terrible error. I was away for a holiday and I did a 10 mile walk. I found my limit. 10 mile walk was too much. It really got me. Well, listen, I think it gets back to this notion of that there's no one monolithic profile based on just an age criteria. And so we think there's a lot of different consumer segments. There's a group of populations like you gentlemen who are active, working, um, super connected. There's also a you know huge population of socially isolated older adults who live alone, are no longer working, and are you know do not have the same relevancy in their lives. Um, there are groups of people who lean into their health and, and it, are, it invest in themselves in preventative healthcare, and there's others who are suffering from chronic diseases that make it that make them less able to uh, take care of themselves. Um, and so I think it really there's 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 a plurality of situations. The one piece that I'd like to say is also changing that I think you might find fascinating is there's also a different population that's related to our work, which are the 50 million unpaid family caregivers that look after um, older adults um, and other, other people who are, who are in need of support. But this population um, is what we call the sandwich generation, where you, know, you can be 50, 60, 70 years old taking care of your parents, but also having your own kid, potentially being a grandparent yourself, and it is a population that on average spends $7,000 a year on their loved one. So uh, it is, it's another population as we think about who the consumer is. It's not just the older adult themselves. So interesting. It's the ones that care for them and love them as well. Abby wrote a, an op-ed for The Hill, the title of which she can correct me, was you can say anything about the presidents, but don't say they're too old. Uh, and what was about the, the fact that while our two candidates are in their 70s. The last two candidates four years ago were in their 70s. Uh, we have, we've had some major leaders in the country. Uh, Mandela was over 70. Uh, I just read recently that I keep forgetting what country, some country brought back a former president at age 92 to become the president. There wasn't a dictatorship. He was voted back into office. So, I mean, the world is changing and we're in the forefront of what's happening. And, and let me ask you a question. You know, as you said earlier, Abby, there wasn't a pipeline of creators focused on this. And therefore, it was a supply and demand question, as you said. What about now? Is the deal flow, and I know you said you've already made some investments pretty quickly here, but is the deal flow there? Are you seeing people creating with this in mind? As Abby said, there, you know, there, you haven't seen as much about activity in this area because there haven't been a lot of late stage companies. This is an area that is getting a lot of attention from young people uh, and a lot of people who have had an, a personal experience with a parent or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a, you know, somebody that's made them aware of it and made them aware of an opportunity in some business area. So we're, I mean, our reservoir of people and deals, I don't know, Abby can give you a better count, but I would say 80% of them are people under 30 who are, who are coming up with these concepts. So let me put a question out, and this is really interesting because you said that demo is generally or historically was reticent to change. This goes back about 20 years, but I represented back in the day TV Guide, 
And I remember watching how the TV Guide subscription numbers really were exactly what you said. You looked at the demo that was still getting TV Guide, and it was clear. It was exactly your point. They were getting it because they got it. They probably never even read it at that point, but they were getting it. And, you know, it was the, the beauty of subscriptions and magazines. You kept getting them whether you were reading it or not. But when you looked at the demographic, you realized why. I used to kid around. I said, this is, I mean, my grandparents weren't alive then, but this would be my grandparents. They're still going to be getting the TV guide, even though they have it for free in their newspaper now, or they could get it, you know, on the guide on the, on the screen. But are you seeing that change? Is the willingness to change, has technology driven that perhaps for this demo? You know, I, it's interesting as you were talking, I was thinking back to, you know, remember when the internet started and there were early adopters and there's laggards. And in any community, there's early adopters and they're laggards. So my mom, uh, she, smartest person I know, she was a computer programmer at IBM uh, back in the, the 60s. And she's an early adopter. She is the most technologically advanced 70 plus year old person uh, that you would know. And so there are early adopters and there's laggards. And so I think the piece that I, I talk to all the time, you know, in our portfolio, we have seven investments, three are direct to consumer, four are through enterprise. Direct to consumer is going to take time. But if you, if you can focus on where you have the early adopters, the best part about this audience, typically speaking for older adults, it's very much about trust and very much about referral. And so friends talk to friends. And so if you can reach the early adopters or their children, um, that is where we're seeing a, a fair amount of traction. And then I think the other piece is really around how you build trust. Um, and the trust is going to come, you know, ARP is the biggest media company in the space. It's the only media company in the space, but you know, they've got 80 some odd years and, and, you know, 40 million members and, and, you know, the, it, they're the only, they're the only show in town. I do have to personalize this. So it's 1999. My mom at the time was 76. She was an early adopter on email. And I was giving an interview for the LA Times and it ended up being front page business section, LA Times. And I talked about this growing area of email and, you know, internet. And I said, in fact, in my own case, at the time, my mom was 74. So I said, my 74-year-old mother now sends me four or five emails a day. And in my case, cyber guilt has replaced Jewish guilt. If I don't answer the emails, I get in trouble. So I said that to the reporter. They put that in the paper. And of course, my mother called me after she read the article. She said, oh, it's such a nice picture. I'm so proud, blah, blah, blah. But you had to say I was 74? <laughs> I said, ah, if you were 44, it wouldn't have been interesting. I mean, so you can't win for losing. Michael, I, I, I want to add something I, I neglected to bring up earlier, which is very important. Uh, when Abby and I came together, Abby really was primarily focused on the products, services, experiences for the elderly. I came to it with a very much interest in that because of my experience with my wife, but I also came to it with the concept behind investing behind older adults. That is a parallel activity of ours, our interest of ours. I don't think we're gonna see 10 of those projects a year, but if we saw even one or two, I would be very happy where we could back somebody who has either sold their business or phased out of their business activity and had all the energy we're talking about and wanted to go back again into the same business 
with the Rolodex that they had had for their lifetime and the battle scars and could attract people from previous life and start all over again. A perfect example, Michael Casson. If you wanted to start another business at age 70, they'd be lined up. I'm serious about that. Lined up around the block because you've got the Rolodex, you've got the contacts, you've got the experience, you know where to go. So you're a lethal weapon in, in, in the world you're in. And there are lots of people who unfortunately, you know, end that first career, or maybe it's even a second career, way too early in today's environment. And so we want to stand, a, I particularly, on a soapbox and say, if I could do it for the third time, you could do it and encourage people, but only if they're going to go back in the same business. If they're going to start something totally new, I don't want to... Uh, oh, you got, you got to play to your strength. And Alan, you, you talked about your own trajectory, your own career. You've had three successes for sure, multiple, more than that, but, but certainly with Apex and Graycroft and now Prime Time. And, and I've, I've always drawn this analogy to a baseball statistic. You're a Hall of Famer if you get a hit one out of three times. I look at you and, and I know Abby's experience and she's not, uh, even though she is younger, this isn't her first rodeo. She's had great success already in her career and proven her strategic acumen at the highest level. This is a good bet. I'm, I'm saying personally, I'm glad I made it. But I would tell you the timing is everything. Because, you know, what is the famous, if not now, when, and if not me, who? I, I can't think of two better people looking at this from the different angles and the different perspective coming together to do this at a time when it is so important because this rapid rate of change, we have no choice. And the demo you're serving, that cohort, as we've identified, it's where the money is and it's where the opportunity is. So, I'm not surprised you're seeing traction. I'm not surprised you're seeing a good pipeline. I'm just kind of surprised it took us this long to realize the opportunity. And what I'd love to say is, as a kind of a final point, is there a particular aspect of, you know, what you talked about in service or technology or product that you think you'll be focused on more than the other? Well, since Abby's the managing director of this fund, and I'm, I'm called chairman, Abby, I'll let Abby take it. Honestly, Michael, we're going to invest in the best teams with the best, biggest ideas that know how to scale their business. So I think uh, they're going to be tackling big problems. Typically, services are a little bit can be faster to scale than products. Um, or vice versa, depends on the market. So um, we're super interested in solving the problems that older adults care about. They care about, number one, their health, number two, their financial security, and number three, meaningful experiences. So, you know, we're going to be focused on those issues uh, more than anything. I would encourage all the listeners to this podcast that they have a really interesting opportunity to keep us in mind. We're yeah. partners.com. It's not yeah. well, <laughs> Listen. If I've ever seen a chance at a Midas touch, this is it. Guys, I want to thank you. This was great. I love the conversation. I'm Michael Kasson. Thanks for listening to Good Company. Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. A special thanks to Lena Peterson, Chief Brand Officer and Managing Director of MediaLink, for her vision on Good Company. And to Jen Seeley, Vice President, Marketing Communications of MediaLink, for programming amazing talent and content. Good Company is edited by Jessica Kreinchich.